0: Friends, welcome back for the third week of our series. It's called Financial Peace. We're talking all this month about what it would mean for us to have peace in our households, peace amidst our uh, stewardship of the things that God has given us. And so we're going to read today from the Gospel of Matthew as we think about these things together. If you have your Bible, let me invite you to open it up to Matthew chapter 6. And if not, you can follow along on the screen as I read verses 19 and 20 and 21 and 33. This is from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust consumes and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. But strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Friends, I want to start today with a guessing game. I want you to guess how many things are in the average American home. Okay, so just maybe start with your own house. Think about all of the forks and all of the t-shirts and all of the teddy bears and all of the shovels and all of the computers. And every single thing that is in your house, and if you totaled up all of those things, how many would would you have? What do you think? In the average American home, how many things do you think we have? I can't hear you. 1,000? Someone said 10,000? (laughs) 80,000? A million? Wow, that would be a a lot of stuff. Yeah, yeah. So um, it's more than 1,000 and it's more than 10,000, and it's more than 100,000. It is 300,000. 300,000 things on average in in our homes. And uh, after the first service, someone said to me, a pastor, I got to go home and whittle it down to 300,000 this week. Uh, Of course, if that's the average, that means half of us have more than 300,000, right? Yeah, so uh, we have a lot of stuff. And I think that here's the reality, what I know about you. You're smart people. You're reasonable people. None of you think that we need all of that stuff. None of us really believes we have to have all that stuff to live. Uh, we, we understand, intellectually at least, that the things you need to survive are pretty few. You need food, and you need water, and you need clothing, and you need shelter. And that's pretty much it. And uh, these other things in life are nice, but you don't have to have. You don't have to have a smartphone in order to live, right? Or Netflix or pumpkin spice lattes. They're nice. They're nice, but we could live without those things. Um, so I don't think we're crazy enough to think that, but, but I do think we are vulnerable enough to be deceived into not realizing how much influence all that stuff has in our lives. What I think we're not always aware of and what we don't always realize is the impact that material reality has on our spiritual life. Friends, what I want to say to you today is our material reality has spiritual implications. Our material reality has spiritual implications. It turns out that stuff is not just stuff because it has this power to shape the way we think and the way we live and even our faith in God. So think about this with me for a second. I'm guessing most of you already believe this. So so take hugging, for example. Hugging is a physical act, right? You physically touch someone, you wrap your arms around them and they around you, and it's something physical. But it's more than just physical, isn't it? Because when you hug someone, you're communicating warmth and love and and acceptance. And so there's a spiritual reality happening there as well. How about the lack of touch? You know what pediatricians call it when children do not get proper physical nurturing and human touch? They call it failure to thrive. And babies who don't have physical touch grow up with all kinds of problems, if they grow up at all. Right? because we know that we are in need. God has made us to need human touch. There is a spiritual implication to that physical reality. How about, uh, how about the problem of addiction? We know that there's all kinds of physical problems that comes with addiction. When we become dependent on on alcohol or drugs or on food, uh, our organs change and and our bodies uh, are are changed in bad ways. But there's also spiritual problems that come from addiction, aren't there? Like isolation and depression and dysfunctional relationships. And the list goes on and on and on of all the things that come, uh, the spiritual implications of our material reality. Friends, the same is true of our possessions. The same is true of our possessions. We tell ourselves, oh, it's just stuff. And if I had a house fire, you know, I'd be fine. I could move on and live without it. And hopefully we could, but we know that our material reality has spiritual implications. Let me just name three right as we're getting into this message today. Uh, The first is around our reliance on God. Uh, what we may have started out with as something that is nice to have in life sometimes we come to depend on so like in august when the air conditioning breaks right and you're in the car or in the house and it is sweltering hot and you say to yourself how did people live in the 19th century without air conditioning and we think oh i could never survive yeah we could right we could survive it might not be as pleasant But we could live without air conditioning and so my invitation is for you to consider at what point do we stop depending on things and begin depending on god and where is the line between one and the other think about it friends in terms of how we manage our resources think about all the time and the energy and the money that we spend acquiring things And organizing things, and storing things, and cleaning things—think about all the time we spend just looking for stuff. You know, like like your keys, and the TV remote, and and the scissors, and the other scissors. You know, and just uh, how many hours do we spend every year just looking for stuff? Think about it in terms, friends, of what we are teaching our children and our grandchildren. Right? We bless our kids and we give them all kinds of wonderful things and we use a phrase to talk about them like, oh, they're spoiled rotten. Right? Oh, they're spoiled rotten and all the adults get a little chuckle. But maybe it's not a joke that we are filling our kids' lives full of stuff to the point where they might actually think that's what life is about. You ever experienced a kid's temper tantrum because they didn't get something that they wanted? You know, how, are we going to take responsibility for training them to think that that's what life is about? This blew me away. Statistics will tell you a, a crazy story. Sometimes the children of the United States make up four percent of the kids in the world. Okay, four percent of the children in the world are in the United States. Those four percent of children who are in the United States own. of all the toys and the books in the world. 4% of the people own almost half of the stuff. Friends, I think we're doing our kids a disservice, aren't we? If we are letting them think that life is about stuff, that the more the better, and that they could be happy if they could just have a bedroom and a closet full of things. So, what's the solution? Uh, Well, the solution, some might say, oh, gee whiz, pastor, you're saying I have to go home and sell all my possessions this afternoon and get some nice walking sandals and a nice walking stick and I'll just wander the earth like Jesus and that's what you're saying I have to do. You know what? Maybe. If that's what God calls you to do, more power to. You should go do that. I think realistically, though, more likely, the answer is not in some extreme. The answer is a closer examination of our relationship with our stuff. To be more intentional about what we acquire and how we use it and what we do with it and what we give away in terms of our relationship with our belongings. So let's open the scriptures this morning and let's see what does the scripture say about these things. In the 12th chapter of the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is teaching a crowd about God and about faith and about spiritual things. And a man comes up to him who was arguing with his brother about the family inheritance And Jesus says this, he says, watch out, be on your guard, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Why? Because life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. The stuff of life is not really stuff, is it? Life isn't about possessions. And we say, oh, Jesus, you know, thanks, brother. But I knew that already. You know, I already knew that life is not about stuff. But notice for a second just how adamant Jesus is about us getting this. Imagine the tone of voice with which he is saying these words. Watch out! This is not a casual comment, friends. This is a warning. Be on your guard. Why? Because if you're not careful, you'll become greedy, you'll become greedy. You'll start to worship the creation rather than the creator. You'll think that life is about stuff. And you know what? Life is not about stuff. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And we might say, whoa, Jesus, you know, take it easy. Why, why are you so intense? Why are you so serious about this? And you know why? Because Jesus understands the relationship between our souls and our stuff. Because Jesus understands that our material reality has spiritual implications, and that if we are not careful, we could be misled into thinking that life is really just about acquiring more stuff, and let me get a bigger house to put all my more stuff, and I'll spend all my time organizing and cleaning and ordering all my stuff, and then I can be happy. And Jesus is saying, watch out. Watch out. That's not what life is all about. Now, Please also hear, Jesus is not saying stuff is bad, right? We like to think in terms of black and white. Oh, well, if he's saying, be careful, he must be saying all possessions are bad. No, not at all. He's not saying this. In fact, think about the times when Jesus, in the story of the Gospels, uses material things to bring spiritual blessings. Okay, so Jesus takes bread and fish and he multiplies them to feed thousands of people, and he goes to a wedding, and they ran, ran out of wine. And so he takes water, and he makes it into wine so that the party can keep going, so that they continue to celebrate God's blessing for this family and for this village. Think about when Jesus was sitting apart, across from the treasury, and he says to his disciples, hey, you guys, you see that widow? She's putting in two little coins, but she gave more than everybody else because she gave everything that she had. And so Jesus wants to use material things to bring spiritual blessings, No doubt about it. But at the same time, he's saying life isn't about those material things. There's more to it than that. There's more to life than that. And so what does that leave us? Well, you know, some of us are collectors, right? Some of us, we collect things. And so I'm not saying that's necessarily bad. And I don't think the scripture is saying that's necessarily bad. I think the scripture is inviting us to evaluate why do we do that? And so if you collect baseball cards and the reason for collecting baseball cards is you have a great connection with your grandfather or your grandson and you share that together, you know what? That's great. That's great. And you say, well, pastor, I like to go antiquing, and I like to buy antiques. And, and some of you will say, well, you know what I do? I, I buy the antiques, and I sell them later, and I make some money. And the money that I make, I set aside. And that becomes the family vacation fund. You know what? Great. More power to you. That's fantastic. Fantastic. Uh, the stuff is, not a means, is, is a means to an end, but it's not the end in itself. And so, friends, this is a bit complicated, right? Because what some particular item means for me, it might mean something different for you. And something that you count as essential, I might say, oh, that's no big deal, and, and vice versa. So this is a time for us to look critically at the things that we have and ask ourselves, what is our relationship to our stuff? What is the character of our relationship to our belongings? And do we possess our stuff or does it possess us? Do we possess our stuff or does it possess us? Here's another way to think about it. Do our belongings function more like a mirror or more like a hammer? Okay, so a mirror is exclusively created and made so that we can look at ourselves, right? How you doing? Looking pretty good there. Hair's looking good this morning, right? And all I can see when I look in the mirror is me. I can't see anyone else or anything else. And so when our possessions function like a mirror, they keep us focused on ourselves, don't they? You ever had a day where you, you get a lot of things checked off the checklist and you felt pretty productive, but then if you looked a little more critically at the list of the things you did, you realize all I did was really just take care of my stuff today? I mean, I mowed the yard, I washed all the cars, you know, I, I, I washed my clothes and I, and I vacuumed the kitchen, um, but man, I, did I actually bless anyone else? Or was it just me taking care of my stuff? So sometimes our stuff functions like a mirror. But imagine if instead all of our stuff functioned like a hammer. What is a hammer? A hammer is a tool. A hammer is used to make jobs easier. It's, it's used so that we can do work not only for ourselves but for other people. So if your stuff is like a hammer, then, uh, then your minivan becomes the, uh, the ice cream get her. And you put all the kids in the neighborhood in the minivan, van, you drive and you're driving, you go get ice cream. And your lawn mower is not just to mow your yard, but it becomes a tool for service to mow the yard of the lady down the street who can't mow hers anymore. And so you do it for her as a gift and as a blessing. And uh, the paint brushes and the paints that you love and enjoy to use to make art with uh, create art that hangs in the homes of your family and your friends. And these things that we have become less like a mirror and more like a hammer that we use in service to our neighbors. Friends, I want to suggest to you that if you and I did that, if you and I actually practiced that day after day, it would revolutionize our lives. If we ask ourselves, okay, this stuff that is in my basement right now, is it allowing me to serve other people? And if not, maybe I don't really need it after all. Jesus said, do not store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Excuse me, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust consumes, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You suppose when Jesus was giving the Sermon on the Mount, he was imagining the great multitude of climate-controlled storage units in America in 2018. Isn't it amazing? We have so much stuff, I can't even fit it all in my house. I got to go rent another space to store more of my stuff. So this is Jesus' best teaching on how we relate to our possessions. And his teaching boils down to this. Do not store up treasures on earth. Why not? Because it doesn't last. Because it doesn't last. It's temporary. Why would we put our our resources into these temporary things? Because you know what? The moths are going to eat it, and the rust is going to consume it, and somebody's probably going to steal it anyway. He says, instead, instead, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And again, Jesus wants us to see the connection between the material and the spiritual. And he said, Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus wants us to know there is a link, there is a connection between what is material and what is spiritual. And where your treasure is, your heart will follow all the time, 100% of the time. Friends, we know this. Whatever we put our money into, whatever we put our time and our energy into, that thing will become the most important thing to us. Now, it may not have been the most important thing before, but whatever we invest in, whatever we spend our money and our time and our energy on will become the most important thing in our lives. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. And it's for that reason that Jesus says next, what he says next as he finishes up this teaching. He says, therefore, strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. You know, there's an amazing thing that happens when we seek God's kingdom first, when we pursue the righteousness of God. You ever notice how everything else in life kind of just falls into place? It doesn't mean it's going to be perfect or without road uh, bumps in the road, but everything else seems to fall into place. And our relationship with all these other things seems to be rightly ordered when our relationship with God is rightly ordered and when it comes first. Now there's a lot of ways, friends, perhaps for us to To seek first the kingdom of God, but I want to offer one to you today. A few weeks ago, we sent to you in the mail this estimate of giving card and a letter from me and from our stewardship team. If you did not receive this first, please accept my apology. But second, please take it from the pew rack in front of you today because this is a tool, friends. This is a hammer for us to use in service to our neighbors. And so what I'm going to ask you to do, if you haven't already, is to take this card and to spend some time talking to God about it, And spend some time talking to your family about it. And to fill this out in terms of your financial commitment to the ministry of this church. And to bring it to church next Sunday for I Love My Church Sunday. And to give it as an offering. And to say, God, this is my commitment to you and to the church that I love. Because friends, here's what I believe. I believe this church is worth investing in. I believe that this church is changing lives, and we see the fruit of that week after week in our ministry here. Children are being trained to be disciples of Jesus. Young people are hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, Adults are finding opportunities to serve God and their neighbor, and all of that is made possible for only two reasons. One is the power of the Spirit of God, and second is a willingness of these people called Timberlake to make it possible with our gifts and with our time and with our energy. So I'm gonna invite you to bring that next week and participate with us in what God is doing. Okay, friends, uh, let me leave you with just some real practical teachings, some things that I've found helpful, some other people have found helpful as they think about how do I conquer this mountain that is the risk of materialism in my life? How do I conquer this drawer or this closet or this basement full of stuff What in the world do I do about it? So here's a a habit, the first one I'm going to offer to you. Take inventory. Take inventory of what's actually in your house. And you might start small, okay? Just start with one drawer or one closet. You don't have to do the whole house in a week. If your house is like my house, it's going to take longer than a week to get through everything. But take an inventory. Ask yourself what's there. Is it a blessing to me? Is it a blessing to someone else? If not, maybe I don't really need it, okay? Uh, Next habit, number two. Get rid of some things. Wouldn't it be great to get rid of some things? So when you go into that drawer or into that closet, maybe you make three piles. Okay, You make one pile, that's the throwaway pile, trash. And the second pile is the giveaway pile. And the third pile is the keep pile. Now, by the way, you can also teach these things to your kids and develop good habits in your children and in your grandchildren. But the reality is we probably don't need all that stuff. And in fact, Perhaps the less we have, the more we might enjoy it. You think that's a possibility? A few years ago, I was learning how to grow carrots. We had a garden in our backyard in Harrisonburg. Anybody ever had a garden in the backyard? Anybody ever grown carrots before? Any carrot-growing experts here? So I, this is what I learned kind of the hard way. When you grow carrots, you take all the carrot seeds and you sprinkle them in a row and you put them down on the soil a little bit and you make sure it gets water and sunshine and that kind of thing. But when the carrots begin to grow and the green things shoot up out of the ground, you know what you have to do next? You have to actually pull some of them out. And you might say, oh, why would you do that? Those are, those are good carrots. I might need those carrots someday. You know, Let, let's, let's keep them. In. No, because if you don't, you know what happens? All of the carrots try to grow, and you end up with a bunch of scrawny, underdeveloped carrots. But if you thin them out and you leave a few inches of space between each one, each carrot has the space and the opportunity to grow into what it can be an adult carrot that is yummy and orange and delicious. Now, OK, make the connection, friends carrots and our belongings. The less stuff I have, perhaps the more I can enjoy what I have because I'm not consumed by just a mountain of things in my life. Habit number three, stop consuming so much. Wouldn't it be great if we stopped consuming so much? I invite you to pray with me a prayer this week, something like, dear God, help us to be satisfied with less. Help us to be satisfied with less. God, help us not to want anything more because you have given us everything that we need. So if you get like I do, catalogs in the mail. Tell those companies, stop sending you catalogs and go in your email and go to the bottom of that mass email and click that unsubscribe button as many times as it takes to get yourself unsubscribed. I spend an an ordinate amount of time unsubscribing for mass emails. Anybody else? Man, that takes a long time, but it's worth it when I can declutter my email inbox and declutter my life. Uh, This is the part of the service where we get grandma's advice, and grandma's advice about consumption is this. If you think you want something, wait a month, and in a month, one of three things will happen. One, you'll forget about it. Great. Or two, you'll realize, I didn't really need that after all. Or three, you realize I actually need it even more than I did before, and you can go out and get that thing. But imagine all the things we didn't buy because we just waited a little while to see whether this is a necessity or not. Finally, friends, fourth habit borrow and lend. I want to encourage us to borrow and lend. Think about all the things in our possession that we almost never use canoes, chainsaws, snowblowers, books, right? Wouldn't it be great if we could share and have all these things in common? I mean, how many snowblowers do, do the American people need? I mean, maybe a few, right? But isn't it great when our neighbors, we, we share with each other? And I'm grateful. I've got a couple neighbors who have snowblowers, and they'll come over to my house. They say, Pastor Brad, we'd love to take the snow off your driveway for you. And I say, thank you so much. That was awesome. And then I go inside and I make hot chocolate and I bring it out to them borrow and lend. Take an inventory, give some things away, stop consuming so much, borrow and lend. I'll finish with this. There was a man and uh, his wife, and they went on vacation together at the beach, as families sometimes do. And as they're walking down the beach, their son was picking up shells off of the beach, except these weren't like really big, nice, attractive shells. These were more like just shell fragments, right? Like teeny little itsy-bitsy pieces of shells. And so they're walking along together, and uh, as they go a little way down the beach, they look out into the water, and they see what is just a treasure. It's a huge starfish and it's floating, like right there on the surface of the water. And the parents see by the look on their son's face, man, he would just love to go and pick up that starfish and hold it and and explore it. And so they say to him, you know, go out, go and get it. And so he runs, you know, a little ways into the water. And then he turns back around and comes back up on the beach. And they say, hey, buddy, you know, it's all right, go get it, you can do it. And they thought maybe he's a little scared of the waves or whatever. So he runs back out a little farther this time, But he comes back again, and they say, what's wrong? You know, you can do it. Go. That starfish is yours. Go get it. And so he runs back out into the water a third time, almost all the way to where the starfish is, but he turns back around kind of at the last moment, and he comes back on the beach, and the parents can tell he's just frustrated. And they say, you can do it. And he said, no, I can't. I can't get it. And they said, what's wrong? Why not? And he said, because my hands are full of shells. Friends, there's only so much room in our hands, and there's only so much room in our homes, and there's only so much room in our lives. And I'm inviting you to ask with me, what is it that we want to fill those things up with, and what things do we need to let go of? May God give us the strength to depend less on our stuff and more on Jesus Christ who loves us. Say amen. Amen. Amen.